Welcome to the Business Diaries podcast, where we uncover the stories that shaped the business owner. Brought to you by Lisa Settle and Isla O'Hara. Welcome to the Business Diaries podcast. My name is Lisa Settle. And my name is Isla O'Hara. Now, most of you know that usually the Business Diaries is a quarterly live storytelling event. Now, I say usually because nothing's really usual at the moment. Um, We're recording this in May 2020 and we're in lockdown. So like everyone else, we're, we're kind of adapting to lockdown life and looking for new ways of doing things. So for this podcast, instead of chatting with a former storyteller, we're going to talk with a storyteller who hasn't yet shared her story. So our guest was booked to share her story, but didn't get the chance. So Isla, do you want to just fill us in on what we're going to be doing today? Yes, it gives me great pleasure to introduce a lady who I met, must have been last August now, I think. Uh, And I was introduced to our guest today, who's Emma Rourke. And she fascinated me from the outset and the work that she does and the help that she gives to so many people. But I'm not going to give anything away at this point. Just suffice to say that as soon as I met Emma and we started speaking, I knew that she was just perfect for the business diaries. And I'm so pleased that Emma's with us today and is joining us now. Hi, Emma. Oh, hi. Thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. And oh, thank you. Thanks for my pleasure for being asked. To well, speak. and thanks for doing things a little bit differently as well. <laughs> Absolutely, no problem at all. Okay. Um, well, if you're you're happy, can we hand it over to you to start your story? Yeah, absolutely fine. Thank yeah. you. Okay, so um, my name's Emma Rourke. I run something called Equine Assisted Learning, which is really how horses help people. But my story today is based on the theme of a curveball, you know, when something goes wrong. And I'm going to talk to you today a little bit about that. Firstly, I'd like to share one of my very favourite quotes. It's from Winnie the Pooh by A.A. Milne. And Winnie the Pooh was a bit of a philosopher. But it's my very favourite quote. And it goes like this. Promise me you will always remember you're braver than you you believe and stronger than you seem and smarter than you think. This is one quote I've had to really apply to myself. When I was a child, I was quite an anxious kid, really. I had a vivid imagination and I was a little bit prone to nightmares. I often thought that there were wolves or fire engines in my bedroom. I mean, really, how random is that? I loved animals and particularly horses. I I couldn't get enough of them. I would read about them. I played with toys of them. I drew them all over my rough books at school when I should have been doing maths. Got into quite a bit of trouble for that. Anyway, uh, I grew up in Surbiton in Surrey, in suburbia. And for those of you who are old enough to remember that TV programme, The Good Life, all about self-sufficiency in the suburbs, I lived around the corner from there. So there wasn't really much opportunity for me to be around horses. Only the occasional ride at a riding school 
or donkeys on the beach at holiday at Dimchurch. When I was 10, I was very lucky. I had every little girl's dream come true. My dad bought me a pony, much to my poor mother's horror. My mother, poor lady, didn't know anything about horses, and so her horror was really quite justified. We didn't know anything about horses. My parents actually had been ballet dancers, and they toured all over the world with uh, what was then known as the London Festival Ballet. Today, it's known as the English National Ballet. My mother's concerns, thankfully, were put to rest as a lovely lady who did riding for the disabled said that she would keep the pony for us and use him during the week because she did disabled riding. But at weekends, he belonged to me and he was all mine. His name was Little Fella and he was a solid black fell pony. He had a dependable nature and he had huge big brown eyes with long black eyelashes. I was completely and utterly in love with him. He really gave me the most wonderful gift. He was an escape, really for me, from the unpredictability surrounding my life at home sometimes, growing up with alcoholism and erratic behavior. I found I could often trust him more than the grown-ups. I could just be myself. And it was very comforting to be able to lose myself in his soft black hair and that lovely, comforting horsey smell that so many people say they find so comforting. Anyway, as time grew on, my love affair with horses never really waned. In fact, you know, it just went on into my adult life. And I became a riding instructor and a competition event rider. I found that every horse taught me something, uh, but mainly about myself, you know, to trust my instincts, to be determined, to work hard. But mainly throughout my life, they've taught me about overcoming fear. Well, three years ago, I had a new horse on the block who came into my life in the form of a beautiful grey Spanish horse. He had a beautiful flowing mane and tail. He, he looked just like an old-fashioned rocking horse. He arrived here in the UK on a, a crisp November day. I mean, can you imagine how different it would have been for him from sunny Spain? We called him Sergio. I've got another Spanish horse at home as well, and he's called Sebi. So I guess you can guess we've got a bit of a golf theme going on here. The first time I rode him here in the UK, it was very cold. All was going well, and I was trotting around the arena warming up. When out of the blue, with no warning, he just galloped out of control towards the fence. The other side, there was a six-foot drop. As an ex-event rider, I know when a horse is sizing something up to jump. And three strides out, I could feel him thinking about it. My blood ran cold. At the last minute, he decided better of it and he swerved suddenly. And I got flung off like a rag doll against the fence, hitting my head. In the initial moments after we parted company, I gingerly moved my limbs. Thankfully, nothing broken. I had hit my head, but thank God for riding helmets. Falling off comes with the territory when you ride horses, but the feeling of being totally out of control is not something that uh, I 
really fancy repeating too often. My brain was sort of all over the place. I was scrambling. I'm okay, but what about the horse? Is he all right? So I got up and I checked him over. I knew that I couldn't leave things like this. He'd scared himself almost as much as he'd scared me. And when you're in your 50s, you don't bounce so easily. I knew I had to get back on, but my heart was pounding and I didn't want to. With hindsight, probably getting back on might not have been the best move. Horses react to things so quickly when something goes wrong. They're flight animals, you know, and they can read our, our energy, really. And it takes a long time to build up trust again. You know, you can build a horse's confidence up and it can take a long time and it can be undone in seconds. I knew all the coaching theory. I knew what I would tell my clients to get back on. But he was scared and so was I. So we had to go back to basics. So I had to really think, how was I going to help this horse? Because if I couldn't help him, he wasn't going to be a safe horse for anyone. And he might potentially get into the wrong hands and have not a very nice life. So I worked patiently with him for about a year, doing a lot of groundwork to develop his trust in me. Quite often he'd pull away from me and gallop around the arena. But slowly and surely we made progress and he stopped viewing me as an object of terror. My inner thoughts were so conflicted at the time. Was he in pain? You know, we, we had him checked out by vets. We had his back checked over. He had physiotherapy. He had saddle changes. But the one thing I hadn't really considered was me. <clears throat> I was still scared, but I was trying to hold it together. I was worried about his future. You know, I, I was worried about not being able to solve it. And I think we do that in life, don't we? You know, quite a lot of the time something goes wrong and we think I've got to get on with it. You know, stop being silly. And the things, the stories we tell ourselves are not always helpful. But what I felt I had to do really and realised the first thing I had to admit was that I was feeling scared. You know, horses pick up on how we feel. <clears throat> they're flight animals and they're programmed to run and to flee when they feel threat, whether that's real or perceived. And they read our body language too. They attune to us emotionally and they feel the energy that we give off. It's what keeps them safe in the wild. Um, and they know if someone is pretending to be okay when they don't feel it, it doesn't feel safe to them. So after a while, you know, we'd made, we'd made some good progress, but the next step was to start riding again. So I decided that I wasn't the person to do that. And I sent him to a professional training yard who was run by an ex-jockey. And he helped me to get him used to carrying a rider's weight again. To begin with, he was very not keen on somebody getting on at all. And we had to use a crash dummy on him, uh, which was a far safer option than a, than a real person. And it took a few weeks for him to get used to that because this thing wasn't coming off. Um, but his professionalism and his kind methods brought Sergius through this crucial time. The thing was, he was going very well for other people. The problem was still me. You know, often we can forget that we're growing older. My body doesn't react as quickly as it used to when I was younger. And I'd lost my confidence, not just with Sergio, but in other areas of my life too. 
it was affecting me in every way, physically, mentally, and emotionally. You know, it was consuming my every waking moment. And sometimes a problem can seem so big that we can't see the wood for the trees and we can feel completely overwhelmed by it. I knew all the coaching theory, but now I was going to have to take my own medicine. Really, the gift that Sergio gave me as a coach and a facilitator was that I can understand how people feel when they're scared. The best coaches or therapists are people who've overcome their own fears and they can empathize with people. I learned that, you know, you don't have to have all the answers. You know, um, it taught me to be vulnerable and to face my fears and to break things down into manageable steps. But I, and I had to also be comfortable doing it afraid. You know, uh, fear really is behind every negative emotion and behavior that we don't want or like in life. You know, it can drive so many things like perfectionism, anxiety, depression, envy, addiction, the list is endless. And healthy relationships, whether they're with horses or humans, they thrive on love and trust. And they need clarity and communication. They need empathy and they also need direction. And they're not always straightforward, are they? So I had to learn to apply my faith really in God over fear. I realized the answer was in a relationship of love and trust with this horse, and Sergio was no exception. When we can show love, uh, fear is driven away. And I think that that's so important in the present climate that we're living in uh, with COVID-19. You know, there's a climate of fear and, um, and it's very real. Um, but we have to somehow find a way of moving forward with that. So I expect you'd like to know really what, what's happened to Sergio. Uh, well, he's home. And at the moment, he's behaving very well. Uh, he's being ridden every day and he's enjoying life. And he's beginning to grow in confidence. And we're continuing to work on things. You know, he's not perfect, you know, and there will always be slight things that, you know, a little bit quirky, but on the whole, you know, he, he is such a much more confident horse. Uh, and we just have to break things down into what feels right for both of us. <clears throat> I've made some mistakes. I think we all do. And I'm sure I'll probably make a few more. But what I've realised is it's not the getting down or getting knocked off that matters, because that happens to all of us in life in some point, in some way. But my curveball came <clears throat> with some hard and but very valuable lessons. It's helped me to develop my resilience and my determination to persevere and not give up. So I started with Winnie the Pooh quote, and I'm going to leave you with that. Um, and I just feel to round this off about my curveball story is promise me that you'll always remember you're braver than you believe and stronger than you seem and smarter than you think. Thank you so much for listening to my story. Well, thank you, Emma, so much for sharing that with us. Wow, what a story. I feel privileged to have been able to, uh, you know, that you've been able to share that with us. What are your thoughts, Lisa? Yeah, I, I'm, yeah, it's lovely. And I'm so pleased that Sergio's doing well. That was going to be my first question. So, um, yeah, I, I 
very pleased to hear that he's enjoying life. Um, one of my one of my thoughts were I was horrified. I mean, I just couldn't imagine my parents saying yes to having a horse age ten. <laughs> so, I mean, you said that that was your dad's um, decision. Was he the more lenient one of, the, of your parents? Um, well, I think you know, dads and daughters have quite a special bond, don't they? You yes. Know? Um, yeah. I think my mother was probably more the disciplinarian, and my dad said yeah that's fine you know um so let's yeah. go for it let's lucky go you. for it yeah so I was <laughs> very lucky yeah definitely so, really interesting that your parents were ballet dancers um and sort of traveling with the festival ballet uh, that London festival ballet that's amazing I mean how, how did that affect your childhood well by the time I was born they had stopped dancing professionally but my mother was still teaching and she had ballet schools and we had a big ballet school actually in in Surbiton so I think my dad's a story in itself in fact he'd be a great storyteller to tell you things he's like really the original Billy Elliot because he's also a New Zealander he grew up in New Zealand and um so life was pretty tough in the 1950s. It wasn't very normal to be a ballet dancer in the 1950s growing up in New Zealand. Um, mm. And he was on tour with a ballet company from the age of 13 and came over here with really pretty much his sack on his back um, and arrived in London at sort of 18. Wow. So, you know, his life really was really quite a remarkable life. Um, and he was... And sort of, do you he, think that... that- coming from New Zealand did he have a relationship with horses Mm. uh, when he was a child well not exactly but he loved them in fact both my parents loved horses but my dad uh was he started dancing because uh he had he was a highland dance champion before he ever started doing ballet and Mm. they used to go around to all these county fairs and things and he used to do the sword dancing in a kilt. And then he won loads and loads of medals as a boy, sort of doing the sword dancing. And, um, you know, there were always horses at these country fairs. And he'd sort of go up to people and sort of say, can I ride your horse, mister? And they say, if you can catch it, you can ride it. <laughs> you know, so it was, he always had this love of horses. But no, he hadn't really had that opportunity. But I think <clears throat> where my parents were so supportive was the fact that Dancing is a tough life, you know, I mean, so is horses, you know, Mm. there's a discipline to it, you know, you have to do class regardless of how you're feeling, you know, it's, they don't take any prisoners really. And, you know, I've had riding instructors like that as well, get up, you look like a sack of, well, I won't even go into what they say. Yeah, yeah, no, I can (laughs) imagine. imagine. (laughs) You can imagine. Um, And I think it was the discipline, which is very similar, and the work ethic, you know, because things don't happen by accident they happen by a lot of hard work and and keeping going and not giving up you know giving mm. up is not an option really and yes. so I think that instilled that into me really uh, from a very young age you know you just keep, yeah you know and, did, and in some was ways there a, sorry in Carry some on. ways that can be very helpful and in other ways when you do have a problem facing fear it can be a hindrance because mm. you suppress. And what I know now and what I knew then are two very different things. You know, now I'm studying post-traumatic stress disorder and trauma. And I know now that, you know, physiological effect of a trauma on your body 
is an automatic response for your, from your nervous system. And sometimes mm. you can't help that response um, because it, it's so automatic. And so yes. we know now from the brain and how it works that, you know, we go into flight mode, you know, and our adrenaline's all over the place. And so we have to find ways of being able to process the trauma, you know, and that's yeah. really what I help people with now. You know, yeah. but I have to go through things myself to be able to understand what that feels like for people. Sure, of course. Yeah. Sorry, you were asking me something else. I, 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 I was there. going to just say, was there any any part of you or did your parents ever try to introduce you to ballet or dancing or oh yes um, I, I danced as well I danced um I danced every day of my life until oh. I, until I was 16 I did both you know Gosh. and um I wasn't bad actually in fact I probably I wouldn't have been a ballet dancer because I was too tall but I could have easily been a commercial dancer yes um and I I I I loved it but my heart was always with the horses and so when I got to a point, I think I was about 16, I realised that I couldn't do both to a very professional level, you know, mm. one or the other. But yeah. yeah, I'd had a whole foundation of dancing. And then I went on and I had my own ballet school for a while because when my mum retired, I took over from her and I taught ballet for mm, about 20, well, 20 odd years. Gosh. Um, yeah. So I've had a double life with horses and theatre, and my dance, my daughter is a professional dancer as well. So we, it kind of oh, runs you're carrying on family. Yeah, you carry yeah, on. Yeah, that's lovely. Yeah, lovely. It is. Yeah, this this double life, and it's wonderful that the two these two parts um, have stayed with you for just such a long period of time. I'm I'm interested in you know you starting off as a young young girl you you're lucky enough to have your horse looked after um, by the local stables and the lady was helping disabled uh, children and were you down there helping with that was that oh yes first? yes very much so yes I mean at the weekends you know we would help and we would help with um, the riding for dis- the disabled you have to have a lot of helpers with riding for the disabled and now actually horses have to go through very rigorous training really to be suitable because they have to be very steady um because you've got to have at least two people you have one either side holding the person on and then you've got to have one person leading the horse so you know you need at least three people per horse to help people and then some some of them you know they're not very mobile so there's special ways of them getting on and all sorts of things. So yeah, we we did a lot of that. Um, yes. So what what prompted you to make the move into equine assisted learning and specialise oh, in that? That's such a good question. Um, I have always had a passion, really, for people, um, and particularly people who are feeling a bit broken hearted. I guess. Um, and so unofficially, I suppose, for quite a number of years, I often used to find, I didn't go looking for them, but I used to find that I had a lot of women often going through either relationship problems or a divorce or whatever it was. And they used to sort of seem to pour their heart out to me. And I want, I'm not a trained counsellor, um, but I just found that I seemed to attract those kind of people. And I think a lot of it was 
because I had felt that way myself, because although I was so privileged and so lucky in my life with my parents, you know, and I love them dearly and they're still alive. And, you know, their story is an utter success story because my dad was an alcoholic. Um, and we went through a lot of things, you know, that were very difficult as a family for nearly 30 years, I guess. Um, but um, despite all that, uh, my dad had an enormous turnaround and he, he had a success rate and has helped hundreds of people come off drink, you know, so he he's really turned his life around and we did as a family too. And, you know, testament to my mother being a very strong woman um, to be able to put up with it really. Um, but it leaves its scars. And so I think for me, you know, I, I'm quite empathetic when people are hurting on the inside because that's, I could present well on the outside, being a dancer, um, being in the performing world, you know, the show must go on at all costs. It doesn't mm. matter what you're feeling on the inside, mm. but as long as you present on the outside, that's okay. Mm. And really it's not okay, you know. So I had this burning passion really to be able to help people who are feeling like that, but not really any formal kind of training in it. So five years ago, I didn't even know what equine assisted learning was. And I read a blog about uh, a lady who, it was called The Next Act for Women. And it was talking about equine assisted learning. And I suddenly thought, that's it. That's that's what I want to do. I can combine yeah, bingo. <laughs> horses. Exactly. It was bingo. It's like a light bulb moment. Mm. I can combine my knowledge of horses, a lifetime's knowledge of horses, um, alongside helping people. So it was like marrying the two together, really. Um, and that's really how I got started with it. Um, I started to research and I looked at places to train. And the problem I found was that a lot of places you had to be a mental health professional first, which I wasn't. Uh, but I found um, a, a model that I really liked, which allowed me as a horse professional, because I'm also a, a, a horse uh, a coach and I've got professional exams as a, as a riding trainer and teacher as well. Um, it allowed me as a horse professional to go into the, this work. So I had to go and do a degree at 52, can you believe? Gosh. <laughs> and it was it was really hard because I hadn't even done A-levels. I'd left school at 17 and I was doing all sorts of things by then. Working was, it juice, was it CSEs and O-levels then, wasn't it? Yes, I did my O-levels and I never took my A-levels in the end because I went and I did my first teaching exam for horses. And then by the time I was 17, I was working. So, you know, it was a different world. It was a very different yeah. world. So and much know, harder to go back to at 52. Well, yes, especially when you've never done any academic writing or anything like that. And it was pretty, pretty academic. We had to mm. learn a lot about the psychology. Um, so we, we not only did the psychology of humans, but we also did the psychology of horses as well. And that's a whole different subject, but very, very mm. interesting. You know, the whole ethology and behaviour and... And and also, um, you know, how to facilitate people. Well, as a teacher, I, I kind of got that. But my problem, really, the thing I found most difficult about it was not to be so direct, directive. Because, you know, I'm used to coaching people. I'm used to saying, well, if you do this, that and the other, then hopefully you'll get that result. And mm. it is so different because it is about the person's own experience. It's experiential. And it's about them coming up with their own answers without you putting words in their mouth really so it's non-judgmental mm. and it's it's about their own process really 
So talking of experiences, um, I remember that Isla came to visit you. Mm. Um, I remember her saying that she had a very enjoyable experience um, <laughs> when she came down. And did, mm. did, Isla, did, please, please do share that with us because uh, I remember being completely intrigued. Well, yes. It, when I first met Emma and we were having our conversation, Emma was doing her best to explain to me what equine assisting learning was and, and I was fascinated. I'd never heard anything, anything like it at all. And and I was, to be honest, I think, having a little little difficulty trying to understand how it all worked. And Emma very kindly, I mean, I can I can hear her say and I said, Well, come down, come down and spend the afternoon and I'll show you. And you know, when you see and experience it for yourself, you will understand. So I I said absolutely and uh, we arranged a date and it, it was a beautiful afternoon in August and Emma lives in the most beautiful location in the heart of Kent, quite quite high up. The, you drive into uh, Emma's stables and the, the paddock is there and she's got, well, when, when I was there, she had three horses and it was just beautiful. I had my back to the house Looking in front of me was her was her lawn, and then there was a, a paddock, uh, the three horses, and beyond that, the view just opened up like 180 degree vista across the, I guess, the Weald and South Downs. Uh, the Weald, yes, down to yeah. Amber almost. Yes, the oh, Weald. Yeah. yeah, it was absolutely beautiful. And because Emma lives quite away from me, it took me about, I suppose, an, an hour or so in the car to get there. And, and that was... I think almost the start of my therapeutic journey of the of the afternoon, if you like, because I was busy, everything was churning around in my head, as many of us are. Everything's just, you know, a jumble of thoughts in your head constantly. And there is something about driving that just settles everything and just mm. calms everything down. And and certainly for driving for that period of time, by the time I arrived at Emmett, um, I couldn't help just be blown away by the beauty of the location, but I was in a calm state of mind and chatting through with Emma what we were going to do in the session and the various um, sort of exercises and stuff, because we did a few exercises to start off with to make sure that my mind was in the best, the best, um, I guess the most receptive way so that when I entered the paddock, uh, I would be calm and confident. In fact, actually, it started a little bit before that because I went up, I said, I painted the picture of the, the paddock with the three horses with the view. But what happens is you go up and you stand a little bit just in front of the, the fence. And as Emma has said, that horses read human emotion and they, they connect with us on levels which Emma would be much better able to describe than, than, than I am. But they, they read our energy and they connect with you. And so I went up to the fence, not knowing at all what to expect, but like deep down hoping that one of the horses would at least acknowledge my existence and that this would work. And I wouldn't be totally ignored by, by these beautiful animals. But I wasn't totally ignored. Um, one of her horses and, and Emma, I, I forget the horse's name. I'm, I'm sorry, I don't remember the horse, but... He lifted up his head and he looked at me and he kind of cocked his head on one side and and Emma said, "Okay, that's that's the horse that we were going to work with." And I felt I felt I felt so special at that point. I really felt like I'd been chosen. Uh, the horses by, always choose the people. That's very yeah, true. And, 
and that that was incredible and I, and that just that that little moment was it, it's something I'll never forget because that then we we went into the paddock and and the horse and I we 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 then worked together um but it's just so incredible how the horses that they read our energy and that Emma is almost the conduit to explaining what's happening with me and my behavior and what the horse is doing and and Emma was explaining to me that the horse would be mirroring sort of the way that I would feeling often feelings I didn't even know that I had and I was concentrating on trying to be calm to not have this jumbled brain full of things going around all the time but it was a really beautiful afternoon and it just made me it did give me a wonderful insight into the work that Emma does and how powerful this kind of uh assisted learning can can be and Emma you work with some amazing people don't you yeah oh thank you I'm so glad you enjoyed it you know and it's always a very special moment you almost as a facilitator you know I'm watching the horse I'm watching the client and I'm seeing what's going on between the two and quite often people will project things onto them which can be a starting point it's often really what they're feeling about themselves and sometimes it can bring up quite powerful emotions that they might have buried or suppressed. So it gives us a starting point, really. You know, um, yes, I've had, some, I've had some amazing people. Everybody who comes is amazing because everybody's story is unique. You know, um, I've worked with all sorts of people, but, um, you know, obviously it's very confidential, so I can't give any names. Yeah, sure. It's the sure, same. Of course. Thing. Because um, like so I've got goosebumps here, um, and oh, we all know it's not a cold day. But I just I think it's just the way you were describing it all, and the how you felt, Isla, when the horse acknowledged you. Mm. Um, it must have been a really, and, and the fact that you said it was so calming there as well. It must have been mm. an amazing experience. I think experience. a lot of the time, human beings, you know, all of us, as Isla said, you know, we we live such a fast paced life, don't we? You know, yes. And now with if there's anything good that's come out of this uh, lockdown is that people are beginning to slow down a little bit, you know, and, mm. and really truly sort of think, well, what, how important is it? You know, what, yes. what's the yeah. most important thing for me today? Yeah. And, and you, sorry, carry on. Well, it's just that the brain, you know, particularly with anxiety, the brain overthinks all the time and it actually is an addiction. People don't realize that, but overthinking is an addiction you know, because it, it just replays around on a loop. Yeah, that's so, interesting. You know, what we try to do as a facilitator is we try to get people present. So there's an element of mindfulness about what we do. Um, and horses are very mindful, you know, and that's what they can teach people. Because a horse, uh, you know, it's out in the field, grazing, eating, looking like not a lot's going on, but they're very aware of what's going on all the time. Yes. Because they're flight animals. So they you know, it might just be the twitch of an ear or the flick of a tail or, you know, see somebody out of the corner of their eye. And suddenly, you know, the atmosphere can change in seconds. And so they can react to things in nanoseconds, but they also come down again very quickly. And, And we call that, you know, scientifically, we call that homeostasis, where things rest and digest, things come back to a neutral but mm. often with people, we don't come back to that neutral. And that's what we have trouble with. Mm. So we, and do you think that maybe we're doing that now? 
Yes, in, in lockdown. I mean, you mentioned mm. about the climate of fear and obviously mm. developing resilience, which is very, very apt for mm. the situation at the moment. So yeah. do yeah. you feel where we're coming down, we're noticing yes. what's important? Because yes. we're we're now we're we're able to do so. Yes, I think so. Because I think you know we've all. I think for the most part, we feel unless we're rushing around doing this, that, and the other, and packing as much as we can into our day, um, we're not being productive. But mm. you know, sometimes less is more. You know, yes. and sometimes we have to slow down <clears throat> to actually be more productive. And yeah. that. That is what happens in the brain. You know, we can't think properly. Um, we can't think correctly unless our brain is actually in a receptive place to be able to do that. And what happens with, you know, when we get anxious is that part of the thinking, rational part of our brain, the prefrontal cortex actually shuts down. Mm. <laughs> and we yes. we get left with, um, you know, sort of, you know, these feelings of feeling anxious you know yeah yeah uh, and we get stuck so what we help people to do is to really check in with what's going on in their body because we often don't really notice what's going on in our body so much no when we live in our heads all the time you know we're sort of we're thinking thoughts the whole time aren't we thinking think 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 yeah and our brain never gets a rest it never gets a rest you know, and so being with the horses and we're doing something like a maybe a reflective grooming exercise or something like that, the repetition of doing something, it's like Isla mentioned before about the driving, it's that repetition that actually allows your brain to rest and it needs yeah. to, it needs to be able to rest. I think the other thing too with unfortunately the way we're having to do things now by Zoom and different things, you know, it's very overstimulating to the brain. And that's why it's yes. so, so important for us to take breaks and to yeah. get outside. I'm also having to limit Zooms as well now because mm. I think I've overdone it. Yeah, um, and I think there's Zoom fatigue, you know, and I think yeah. it can bring on headaches and not sleeping well and all sorts of things and actually can make you feel more anxious. So I think it's really important to get that balance. Really. Yeah, and talking of anxiety, I mean, we're, they're already talking about sort of post-COVID stress syndrome mm. what do you think you're you're going to be dealing with this when we're, we're, we're all back to normal well, I think there's going to be a lot of trauma um because because you know we've been living in this climate of fear and unfortunately the way it's been reported in the media and all of that is sort of a lot of fear-mongering mm. you know and yes it's real uh of course it's real and that's not to minimize it but I do think that sometimes the more that the negative is kept being reinforced, the more it makes somebody feel not safe. So the whole point with trauma is to reconceptualize uh, the thinking. It's all about what you think, you know, as we think, so we are, you know, and it's true. You can think about something long enough, you can, you know, end up in a right mess, can't you? If yes. You about something negative. But we, what we try to do is retrain the brain. And the brain can be rewired in 21 days, actually. You know, neuroscience has proved that. That's the breaking the habit yes. time, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, it 21 is. 21 days. Yeah. But, you know, to do that, we need to be focusing on reconceptualizing those thoughts, attitudes and behaviours around that fear or whatever it is. Um, so, yes, you know, there is quite a lot of work that can be done. Uh, and can help people to do that 
and also exercises that we do as well in the you know with the body and also with the horses i mean what i'm studying now actually doesn't actually necessarily um mean that i can i can work with or without the horses which will be useful and i always think it's useful to bring the horses into it too because people can then see and feel in a much more tangible way rather than just talking about an idea or a concept mm. it's i think it's going to be very useful to have both and yeah I think particularly for our health professionals too you know i mean they're being traumatized all the time with what they're seeing and what they're having to deal with yes so i think it i think there's a huge need for it yeah um, unfortunately there will be i think there is a huge need for it but i also think it's possible to be able to um move forward you know and yes. I, sometimes people get so stuck for so long and they don't really know how to move forward and that's really what i'm there to help them do is move them forward Oh, it's so exciting all these projects that you've got going on emma and and your your you know the new training and these skills you're going to be able to i think help so many people in so many ways well i hope so <laughs> i have to help myself as well sometimes because i have to remind myself of all the things that i tell people <laughs> so actually emma you've got to apply it to yourself too <laughs> yes yes of course that that that's yeah, and you, you said, didn't you, in your in your in your story that the best coaches are those who have been able to overcome their own vulnerabilities and, and deal with their own. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. I think that's a, a a really good point and a, a fabulous point, really, to end with because we're coming to the end of time. Um, brilliant story, Emma. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, can you give us a quick reminder of how people could get in contact with you? Yeah, sure. Um, my my website is a bit of a mouthful, so I'm going to spell it. <laughs> it's called hepsibaruk.com, uh, and that is H-E-P-H-Z-I-B-A-H-U-K.com. So you can find my website, Hepsibar. Uh, on that um you can email me at emma at hepsibaruk.com uh or you can phone me uh on 07769 uh, i've also got a facebook page uh, called hepsibar horses i'm also on instagram as hepsibar horses I think I'm on LinkedIn. Yes, I'm on LinkedIn as well and on Twitter. So I don't do Twitter. But um, yeah, so you can find me. So you'll be hard pushed not to be able to find you. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. Um, That brings us really to the end of our podcast today. Final thanks go to Paul Cheese, of course, for our fab jingle. And of course, you, the listener, for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the story today and and doing things just a little bit differently Um, and obviously the discussion that followed and uh, maybe you'll join us for our next podcast. Bye for now. Bye. Bye. Thank you for having me. Bye. We hope you have enjoyed listening to this edition of The Business Diaries. We would love to hear your feedback. Please find us on Twitter and Facebook at The Biz Diaries. 